Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. I turn up like midnight. Like the edge of... Now we're going to go into this great show. Sorry about that snafu in the beginning there, guys. Welcome to a special show today. We have um, Anthony DeCurtis with us and also my co-host, Spencer Drake from New York. And today is a really special show because we're going to be talking about Anthony DeCurtis' newest book, Lou Reed, A Life. And um, I have Anthony DeCurtis with us as well as Spencer Drate, and I will be having some special guests calling in. 
And with that, we're going to bring Anthony in. But real quick, I wanted to say, um, before we start, a little bit about Anthony. He um, is a contributing editor, you know, at Rolling Stone, where his works appeared for more than 35 years. And I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about that. And uh, he's also authored um, a couple other books, In Other Words and My Rocking Life Away. And uh, the co-writer of Clive Davis's autobiography, The Soundtrack of My Life, a New York Times bestseller. Um, he's also a Grammy Award winner and has served as a board member on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominating committee for 25 years. And he also holds a Ph.D. in American literature and lives in a New York City. And with that, I'm going to bring everybody into the studio and uh we're gonna just start the show and let everyone talk and tell our little story anthony and spencer i'm so sorry i'm a few minutes late there are you there yeah yeah i'm here you guys there hey Hey, i'm here welcome hey how are you i'm so glad you're here You're, you're so welcome and uh i hope i didn't i i i thought i'd introduce you a little bit and uh, let you talk a little bit more about, you know, your other books and and segue into Lou Reed Life and also Spencer Drace with us. And uh, um, so I opened Absolutely. up with um, <laughs> uh, Lou Reed, one of your one of your one of your requests on your Lou Reed songs. Oh, and for everyone listening, I wanted to say if you'd like to tune in, there is a chat room. It is you do need to create an account. I do see a few people in the chat room. With that, um, if you want to download the show afterwards, it'll be on iTunes and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio immediately afterwards. And also, if you'd like to call in, we're expecting a lot of call-ins. Well, we're hoping, um, you know, a few people that um, may be away or something, but we do know we have a couple confirmed call-ins. But if you'd like to call in, our number is three four seven six seven seven one zero three six. And with that, Anthony, it's all yours. Go for it. <laughs> I'd love oh, okay. to hear about you. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, um, you know, I don't know. The main thing that's going on right now is my Lou Reed book, which I'm, you know, extremely mm-hmm. excited about. I mean, I knew Lou pretty well and uh, wrote about him quite a bit. And uh, like everyone, I think, you know, feel his, you know, I feel his loss. Uh, constantly, but oh, yeah. um, you know, you know. I mean, I, you know, he was a hugely significant artist. Uh, I mean, in my view, um, and certainly in terms of his influence and impact, you know, ranks with Bob Dylan and Lennon and McCartney. I think you know, essentially, Lou with the Velvet Underground invented underground rock and the very idea of alternative rock, and you know, every movement from punk to grunge and. Um, you know, every variation on all of those styles um, goes back mm-hmm. to him. So that's, you know, I mean, that's how I've spent, you know, it's probably, uh, you know, since Lou died in October of 2013, you know, I started sure. the book a few months after that, uh, spent a little under three years writing it. It just came out a month ago. And, um, you know, it's been a ride. I mean, dealing, uh, you know, Lou was a uh, very powerful and accomplished figure mm-hmm. and uh talking about him and debating him and debating about him and uh you know it uh it's been a, a great great experience for the last month or so so i'm delighted to be with you oh no and with spencer myself and you know there's one quote here i want to say really quickly before we get into questions it's really cute um i thought it said, as Lou Reed himself said in 2012, people always say to me, why don't you get along with the critics? I tell them I get along fine with Anthony DeCurtis, and that shuts them right up. So tell me about that. That's really great. Well, that was interesting. I mean, I, you know, Lou and I always did get along. I mean, it, and, and, you know, he was, you know, kind of famous for having, you know, extremely contentious relationships with, uh, with writers, and mm-hmm. I feel like uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, we kind of hit it off. I mean, one of them was, I mean, we didn't meet, uh, you know, with me showing up to do an interview. We met at the airport in Cleveland after the opening oh, of the wow. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1995. You know, our planes mm-hmm. were delayed. Someone introduced us. He was there with Laurie Anderson. I was by myself, and. 
we just all sat in the lounge at uh, the airport and talked for three hours until we could fly back to oh, New wow. York. And we kind of got to, you know, get a sense of each other. And I think one thing, um, the photographer, Mick Rock, whom Spencer mm-hmm. knows well, uh, was somebody mm-hmm. that um, David Bowie once said about him, Mick sees me the way I see myself. And I think, mm-hmm. to a degree, that Lou felt that about me. I mean, I think he yeah. felt that in my writing about him. Um, oh, that's great. You know, I, I represented him the way he liked, you know, the way he felt about, he, the way he wanted yeah. himself to be represented. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You he know, and so that, that was a very you. genuine thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think he felt like I got him. I mean, my background, as you mentioned, is in literature and I think Lou ultimately thought of himself as a writer. I think Lou, you know, thought of himself in literary terms. And, you know, that was the world I emerged out of. And I think he felt that I got that. And I did Mm -hmm. get it, you know. And uh, I think that's also one of the, you know, one of the premises of the book. You know, it kind of goes through him, through his career, and, you know, kind of deals with him on those terms. I I think the point... Point up, Anthony, is a book that Sylvia and I worked on um, that you know, Thought and Expression, which is a book yes. of lyrics. I think that was a very powerful book because you were talking about his writing, right? So that was in your book, and I thought that was really great to read about also. Yeah, there was a moment uh, with that book when um, uh, Bill Bentley, who was a friend of his, who I, you know, mm-hmm. uh, knew him for many years, and worked with him uh was 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 doing publicity with him on that book and he describes in the, in in my book Lou doing a signing a book signing at a bookstore mm-hmm. you know people are coming up and talking to him about his lyrics and you know what his songs meant to him and all of this and it's you know pretty standard stuff for a book signing and Lou's signing books but when it was over um you know Lou went you know, into the green room with Sylvia, uh, with the, you know, to whom he was married at the time, and Lou just started crying. It, oh, it had meant wow. so much Aww. to him wow. that that people talked about his lyrics specifically. Yeah. You know, and you know, Lou Reed weeping over something that oh you know fans of his would say is not necessarily an image that would occur to most people, <laughs> but it was very, very true of him. I think. Oh. That's a great story. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that is a great story. And the fact that you met him in the airport and the way that yeah, you two exactly. first, like, <laughs> met each other after the rock and the whole thing. You know, speaking of photography, you mentioned Mick Rock. Uh, both Spencer and I have had him. I've had Mick on my show quite a few times along with Spencer. We both know him really well. And yeah, yeah. Um, the photography on the cover of the book, um, tell me a little bit about that. That's a great picture. It really is a great picture, and I, mm-hmm. I unfortunately can't take credit for it. Uh, the uh, the publisher, cho- you know, I mean, they have the right to choose the cover. I mean, if I had wildly disapproved of it, I'm sure, you know, they would have <laughs> taken that into account. But, you know, they uh-huh. sent it to me. They said, look, this is what we want to do for the cover. And when I, I, I my jaw just dropped. I had never seen <laughs> that image before. And great what I picture. like about it is yeah. that, he is so present, and it's not the cartoon Lou Reed. It isn't you know, mm-hmm. the dark glasses and the scowl and you know mm-hmm. the grimace and all of this other stuff that I think has become a kind of caricature of him. He looks like a person. Mm-hmm. He looks, you know, he's mm-hmm. recognizable as Lou Reed, but he's staring directly into the camera, mm-hmm. and you know, it's a very kind of plain spoken view of him there was a photograph as a matter of fact i mean this isn't i mean mick rock did not take that picture but mick did a cover for lou uh for an album called growing Mm -hmm. up in public that was reminded Mm -hmm. me of this it's a very Mm -hmm. you know it looks like a shot of a person it doesn't look like a shot of a rock star and you know Mm -hmm. lou um that's what i wanted the book to be i wanted the book to present Lou in kind of three-dimensional terms as if you were meeting someone, um, you know, and weren't just meeting a magazine cover or an album cover or, a, a, you know, a, a kind of image, that you were meeting a human yeah. being. And the image on the cover of this book, I think, conveys that beautifully. And uh, I, I 
have to thank my publisher for, L- listen, for being that sensitive to. to I know it does. Like I have to come in on this because we're, uh, to let you all know, wearing Abbott to the photograph, and wearing Abbott to the cover of the New York album, which was another mm-hmm. great picture. You know, there was, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a little more. You know, I mean, that reflected, I think, the mood of that record. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was, uh, you know, kind of gritty and. You know, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's obviously a fantastic photographer. Yeah, I mean, I worked with I, him. Anthony, I, I worked with him great. before, and he always has these strong mm-hmm. images. You know, images that a lot of uh, other photographers can't capture, and this is one of them. And Holly brought it up to me I, I, uh, before the show. She said, "Oh, this photograph," and I said, "Yeah, the photograph is so hot." You know, it's about the yeah, hands. The it's about the hands. The hand. Yeah, well, the right. hand, um, too, which is yep. holding sort of in front of his is, crotch. Yep. Yeah. And, but it's also, yeah, the tai chi, a, it's also the Tai Chi thing that he was really into in the end of his life that yes, really right comes on. across to me. With his hands, they look very peaceful. Right. You know? Well, the thing also is anyone, you know, I, you know, obviously, you know, had meals with friends where I gave them a copy of the book and, Anytime it's been like just on a on a on a table in a restaurant or something, the waiter or the maitre d' or somebody would come over and just say, "Oh my, you know." I mean, it it, it has the the image on the cover has that ability to even people who mm-hmm. you know aren't necessarily Lou Reed fans right. or looking right. for a book or anything just spot it and they just say like, "Wow, what is that?" You know, they it's it was a, 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 a extremely intelligent choice for the cover. Listen, um, mm-hmm. I, Holly, I wanted to ask Anthony a question. In the book, um, this is very cool because, you, know, you know, I designed for the Ramones, so this kind of captured this. Danny Fields played the Ramones uh, tape, I guess, to Lou Reed, you mentioned yes. it. Yes. And Lou was very ecstatic about it. A lot of people don't know that Lou is a, a fan of the Ramones. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think when the whole punk thing was going on, I, I think Lou was kind of, in, in many ways, kind of ambivalent about the whole process, because on the one hand, he was obviously the godfather of that movement, but on the other hand, you know, it's it's an interesting thing when you're an artist and younger people come up and suddenly, you know, they're the ones getting the attention and they're taking the spotlight. So Lou paid a lot of attention to what was going on with punk, mm-hmm. but at that moment, with when Danny played that. Um, you know, the Ramones tape for him, and it was the first time he'd ever heard them, he just went nuts. I mean, he was (laughs) so excited with, like, you know, the energy of it and the power of it and, you know, what it could bring across. And, uh, you know, it was a lovely moment to, uh, you know, to hear about and capture. Right. That's so awesome. Hey, listen, I think Sylvia is calling in. I'm going to bring her on. Right. I'm going to bring Sylvia Reed on to the show now real quick. Let me bring her into the studio real quick. If you don't mind, Anthony. No, of course second, not. Let's just bring her in real quick. Sylvia, is that you? Yes, it is. Hello. Hello. Hey, hey Sylvia. Welcome, it's Anthony here. Hi there. So now, hey. so now well, we have myself, Anthony, Spencer, and uh, we're just going to talk about this book and then, you know, talk about things that both you and Spencer did together um, as well. Sylvia, I'd love to great. talk about the opening, too, because the opening, I saw the great pictures. They were amazing mm. for the book. So, let's, Yeah, uh, I was, I, I was going to add a little bit in. I was listening right as I was waiting for you to introduce me. And, sure. Uh, I wanted to jump in on that whole period of time when you know the cbgb scene was so strong and there was so much you know creative power in these uh young bands and of course i was young at the time and and uh hanging around with a lot of them so i personally played a lot of this material for lou it was one of the things that um i had this really terrible little tape recorder, which he would never let me forget about the cheap quality of the recorder and my speakers. I went through that, too, when I would be interviewing him. He would spend the first 20 minutes of the interview lecturing me about why I was not using a broadcast quality 
piece of equipment. <laughs> exactly. I suppose we're not broadcasting it. You know, it's, <laughs> exactly. And and yeah. we go on and on about how miserable my speakers were, like, you know, as if as if I could have afforded any better speakers. But in any mm-hmm. case I would play for him a lot of these tapes of bands that I liked and friends of mine. You know, like uh, the Voidoids and uh, Television and Suicide, which was I was one of the biggest uh, sui- fans of Suicide, wow. yeah. and uh, and it was it was always interesting to me because he he would obviously be aware that this was like a real moment in in you know the musical scene was so really creative at the time, really powerful. But at the same time, he'd always hold back that praise. You know, he'd always be like, ah, that's not so great. You know, and he'd be uh, criticizing and slicing and dicing people. Uh, and yet I knew he was paying attention. Uh, for example, you know, it was quite obvious that Robert Klein was an amazing guitarist. And uh, ultimately, I worked, uh, I, I, I made it, uh, the situation happen where, Lou and and Robert Klein could end up working together. Klein was a friend of mine, and uh, it was something that I very very happy place. Even if it ended on a note that was not so great, but uh, it, it 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 did uh, open up some real creative power there for Lou to sort of regain uh, a Without thing that question. he could do with his guitar playing. Yeah, that was some of the strongest work of Lou's career. I mean, both in the studio and on stage. I mean, it, you know, it, that music still stands as um, just indelible. I mean, you, you, when you listen to it now, it, you know, it's lost none of its power. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that, you know, that forging that connection between, uh, you know, between Lou and Robert Quine, I mean, it, it made Lou play guitar again, for one thing. And wow. it, oh, that's um, awesome. You know, and 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 Quine, of course, was an incredible accompanist to Lou. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the the relationship soured after a while, but while they were together, it, you know, they really made a mark, and it remains very distinctive. And uh, you know, much to Sylvia's credit. Yeah, thanks. And I and I and I draw this, um, you know, over and over again throughout his work. You can see this same kind of thing happening. I mean, he had that with Kale. Yes. It was unbelievable, the the musical communication between the two of them and how, how incredibly great that was and how they drove each other to, you know, really amazing performances. And yet, <laughs> they basically could not, you know, remain in the same room functioning for, you know, beyond a certain amount of time. Oh, wow. Later yeah. on, when we did the Velvet Underground reunion, um, the same thing held true, and it was completely baffling, you know, to me. Where two people who admired each other. Totally Sylvia, you worked on a great package for Songs for Drello, that another great album with John yeah. Cale and Lou, right? Yeah, that um, that I, you know, obviously it was the 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 concept for that album. Artwork had to do with the importance of Andy and how the two of them related to him, and yet there were really complicated feelings there. So you really had to talk about the, um, you know, Lou always had this very cautious wariness about Andy, and it was really a love, but it wasn't something, a love where he was going to embrace him. He came to that he could resolve things about him or ideas he had about him after his death in these songs. And so That's I think exactly the right. artwork had to reflect, the artwork had to reflect this sort of um, mm-hmm. ambivalence and also yeah. the fact that Andy was gone and it was a, like a memorial piece too. So I think that's why we went with the black velvet and the ghost-like images. When you can feel oh, wow. that sort of energy so, so, in those songs of yeah. you know Lou working through his relationship with with Warhol, you know the sense in which you know Warhol was 
in a line of figures that almost served as kind of models or father figures for Lou, I think. You know, yeah. the, a connection to a larger world, the way Delmore did when Lou was in college. And, mm. you know, afterwards when the Velvet Underground met Andy Warhol, it was, wow, it's possible to play on this huge stage that Warhol already occupied. But, yeah, the you know, as as often seems to happen, you know, the relationship grew complicated. And in that tribute, you know, in uh, Songs for Drella, you know, that Lou and John did after after Warhol died, you know, you could feel that energy that Sylvia described of his um, struggling with his emotions and mm. really being honest with himself and expressing sincere regret about certain things and and celebrating Andy in other ways and also looking at him with that wary eye that, that Sylvia refers to. It, it's kind of all in there. Let, let's, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, we should go on. Like the New York album, uh, I think was next, and and that was that was with um, you know that was a great album, Dirty Boulevard. Uh, why don't you talk about that, Anthony? Dirty Boulevard, you know. Well, that song in that album was, um, I mean, a great moment for Lou. It was uh, 1989. Uh, Lou had been cleaned up for a while, uh, focusing himself. I think trying to make bigger statements. And I think it became possible for Lou at this point, and this is something Sylvia would certainly know a great deal about, but it became uh, possible for Lou to look out beyond the various subcultures that he had, you know, lived in to that point and to look at a larger world politically and a larger world socially and to write about New York, I mean, which had always been his great subject, you know, not from just the standpoint of a kind of sexual underground or a drug underground, but the state of the city and what it reflected about our culture. It was, I think, you know, loose, getting clean and kind of getting lucid and Mm. developing a kind of intellectual and artistic stamina to work through those big ideas, I think created, you know, one of his best solo albums at that point. Right, right. And and then and then magical loss uh, with um, Doc Pumice, um that was another great album that was really amazing, uh, right, Anthony? That was uh, Stephen Baker. I like what he wrote in that book. In your book, Stephen Baker wrote, "Well, the album not as a buying tool, but the critics love the album." It's very interesting what he said, right? Uh, and well, the, he was looking at it from you know a standpoint of uh, I mean one thing that. Jeff Gold said to me at one point, you know, sort of early on, I mean, he was helpful to me. He introduced me to, among other people, Sterling Morrison's wife, and, you know, um, and uh, helpful to me as Sylvia was helpful to me, and not only did great interviews for the book, but um, introduced me to other people that I, you know, very much wanted to talk to. But one comment, Jeff, who is the person actually who introduced me to Lou in the first place, Mm -hmm. But one time just said to me, he goes, you know, in these books, no one ever talks about what it was like to be at the record company when, um, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you know, the artist sure. makes these records. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that Stephen Baker, I mean, Stephen Baker is a smart guy and a sensitive right. guy, and they'd just come off, you know, the New York album, which was, you know, a big success. But, you know, he described listening to magic and loss and recognizing it as a great record but also being a record company guy you know it wasn't something that had a song like dirty boulevard on it it wasn't right right the kind of record that was gonna you know spin off a song that you know we could make a video that mtv was gonna play and that alternative radio was gonna play and rock radio was gonna play you know that wasn't gonna happen what was that yeah well that that's that's all too true but here again, this is, you know, um, this is in a way I think that it was at the core. Lou was always bound to be dissatisfied with the reality where he's creating a work of art. He's creating something that the, uh, you know, the the ambition that he had for both the New York album and the Magic and Laws album. I mean, was huge, mm-hmm. and I and and. Yet he's 
is forced to work within this framework of basically the type of product that, or the the approach to the product, which he was always going to find, you know, childish on a level that was, you know, just beneath what he was doing. Because yes, these are well-established companies and they've got their processes that you're supposed to follow and they would never break out of them. I remember a lot of the frustration that he would talk about was, you know, any, any time that he had an idea about how, a way to maybe market something more creatively, differently, or outside of the little, the usual framework. And they actually had like a timetable, like don't start talking to us about any idea relating to promotion until thus and so. And it was like it had to be a certain established number of months before the thing was going to come out. Uh, or don't, don't go over here. And Spencer, you know this well because yeah. if you had a creative idea for a package, you'd also have right. to go in there and fight for it. And right. they'd be like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, that's great, but you're going to have to, you know, the artist is going to have to pay for this, and et cetera. So it came oh, down well. to, you know, it comes down to this constant battle between art and commerce. And and I understand yeah. it, and it's, you know, something that you have to, you know, be adult enough to sort of negotiate your way through. But yeah. when you think about, you know, an album like Berlin, you think about, an album like Magic and Loss and the things that it's saying and the artistic level that it's on. And then you realize that you've got to go in there and sell it to the same person who's like, hey, you know, why, you know, why can't you churn out a hit? Like, you know, I, I don't remember the other artists who were there at the time that were, that were doing what they consider, oh, yeah, this is a hot album. This is what you – who didn't <clears throat> function in that way, you know? Yeah, and that's, oh, sure. Well, uh, Sylvia, you know the metal box story. The metal box—that's a story. Yes, exactly. Yeah, let's talk uh, about that. But let, let me say really quick. I'm sorry, guys. Let me say really, really quick. Um, Anthony, really quickly, um, I wanted to say where anybody can pick up this book because um, we're going to get into a lot of stories, and I just wanted to make sure everyone knew that they could get this book, Lou Reed: A Life. Where is it available? It's uh, hopefully everywhere. I mean, it, it should be. Oh, it <laughs> That's is. what they're telling it me. Is. Yeah. It is. So, yeah. it, uh, you know, so you know, you go to your uh, okay. local bookstore or go online. Uh, you know, it should be it should be pretty easy to find. Oh, listen. And do you have uh, you a know, website? Anthony, yeah, on the website. Anthony, yep, the website. do you have a website? website? Anthony, do I have a, do website? have a website? I have a Facebook like page out? and okay, and I have a Twitter account. Um, I'm very easy to awesome. find. I don't have a website, unfortunately. Okay. And I wanted to say about the book, what's great about it is um, in the back, and we can carry on with the rest of this, uh, but in the back of the book, I loved it because you have the references to pretty much anybody. You could look up anything like some of the things that you were talking about, Sylvia, and you, Spencer, and mm-hmm. uh, the things that we're going to talk about, the metal box. You can go ahead and put that in and you can find what page it's on, and I mean, there's so many references to so many things. I mean, we could do we could do five <laughs> five interviews on this book. I mean, this book is like got yeah. so many stories, right, Sylvia? Right, Spencer? I mean, yes, it's, it's just like oh, it's, definitely, it's Holly. So <laughs> much, so much content. But I'm sorry, I interrupted. I wanted I wanted to uh, have you guys talk about the metal box story. Because I know that, because, but we, um, I know a lot of listeners do want to hear a lot about Lou and what Lou was like in his life and his music. Not and and you know, we want to hear about the design and that's really cra- That's great that Lou was so meticulous, uh, Sylvia. Wow, that's just uh, wow. No, he he that's, absolutely um, was, and he was mm-hmm. also devoted to um, one of the one of one of the things that I respected and admired about him a great deal was um, Mm -hmm. he sort of, he didn't really care about credentials. He cared about Mm -hmm. his gut feeling in response to someone else's talent or ability. So time and time again, he might, you know, uh, give someone a chance to come in and try something. And, and, uh, and this is something I, I, I don't know if I discussed it with Anthony at the time, but it, I've been ruminating uh, since Anthony's great book has come out, and I've been thinking about the different things. Me um, Lou, Lou always gave 
what he recognized as talent a chance. And mm-hmm. it didn't matter if there was a track record. This is why Maureen Tucker became the drummer for the Velvet Underground. It was Luke. Right. Mm-hmm. It was not Sterling and John. You know, obviously they became great friends and respected Maureen greatly later. But in the beginning, they rejected the idea entirely of a, there being a girl in the band, if you can call, if you oh, can wow. imagine it in that way. Wow. But also mm-hmm. simply that uh, it was Lou who supported her. Lou who heard what she was doing and said, that's great. And and despite their objections, you know, brought her in enough to where everyone could finally, you know, it would start gelling the sound. And again, time and time again, when I'm sure the record company was not all that appreciative to say, oh, you want your wife to be involved in in the artwork. But he saw what I did. I discussed ideas with him. I'd get ideas from him. Uh, based on the work, and then Spencer and uh, Judith working together, who actually had the you know the shop to work in that I could come in and discuss, and we'd take it places, and that's what resulted in the the, the metal box, which I'm, I'm, we're all very proud of because it it uh-huh. really I think um, it it really helps the album Magic and Loss, you know, in a, in a visual form. I think it was really very successful. And Spencer, I think That'd you had found it. Uh, I think it was Spencer that found uh, that this that this type of metal package wasn't it from Germany? Yeah, yeah. I, I, AGI uh, that was the AGI part of it, you know, where they uh, put this metal box together. But I remember you telling me on the phone. This is a great story because you didn't want to tell me. You told me on the phone. You told me on the phone. You said, Spencer, I didn't want to tell you this before, but. USA was originally not going to do it, but because Germany did it, right? The USA yeah. did it. Isn't that the story? Yeah, they were. They were never. They would never <laughs> want to jump to something as uh, you know. It was. It was a pretty creative idea at the time, and uh, to to jump in there and say, okay, well, it's going to weigh how much, and it's going to cost how much to ship, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know, you go down that line, and uh, but if, because someone else had had done it and tried it, and it was very striking. And then, yeah, of course, a beautiful the, package. Yeah. the great image from Louis Jean, the, the photo that oh, is very, very powerful. And, and, uh, then, and, and, and I, what I want to bring up, and you're part of this, Sylvia, as well as me and Judith and Anthony wrote about it with the symbols uh, that are integrated into Magic and Lost. Why don't you tell us about the alchemy symbols? Because Anthony yeah. brings it up, right, Anthony? Yeah, absolutely. I remember yeah. reading uh, about that and. And what they meant, yeah, that's interesting. I'd love to hear the story about that. Well, it it was an it was an exploration of, you know, and this is a, a a huge topic, obviously the 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 lyrics of magic and loss, and and a real, I mean, how many people were confronting this in a you know in the realm of a, a rock record? It was supposed to be a rock record, and uh, as we as he <laughs> talked about passing through fire and finding a door up ahead, not a wall. And and he started exploring some things that he had explored much earlier in life when he used to be into some, um, an odd little uh, piece of work, but Madame Blavatsky, and I think it was Alice Bailey. And these were theosophists. And he used to be into reading that material. And it was all very, you know, metaphysical and it would have explorations of some very esoteric, you know, mind bending kind of, you know, thought about, you know, world philosophies. And he loved to pull material from that. And later when we were, you know, it was years, years later when we were talking about magic and loss and, and addressing some of the, you know, it was really it was really about confronting a transition, the, the life to death transition, mm-hmm. and so some of these symbols came back into play, and I believe it was Judas who had found a um, a book that was yeah, symbols. of some some symbols, and yeah. we went through and Luke picked out ones that he liked, and we uh, talked about uh, Mercury, um, which is. You know, um, Mercury relating to um, another life to death transition. You know, uh, 
and, uh, and many other symbols related. And it was uh, it was something where I think that for the first time Lou was happy to sort of really explore something directly. You know, he had a sort of cynicism before, and I was going to say that is related to as what Anthony was saying about the New York album. In that album, in the New York album, I think for the first time, Lou was mature enough to really let go of some of that cynicism. They always had that stance before, you know, that sort of, um, I'm too cool to actually really have an opinion or to care that much one way or the other. And that always came came through in his earlier work. But then by New York, he was able to actually come up and say, you know, I have these opinions or I hold these attitudes or I think the, the, that we might look at the world this way. And that was, I think, a maturing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The um, well, alchemy, too. I mean, the idea of like this kind of, you know, transforming like metal, base metal into gold was kind of one of the central tenets of what alchemy was about to do, which was a kind of metaphor for the body to the spirit, you know, and that obviously suits um magic and loss, you know, this idea that somehow, yeah, you know, maybe death isn't the end or there's some kind of other place for things to go that that your body can transform into spirit. It, it seemed to me to be some of the resonances that were there in those symbols and in that kind of uh, philosophy informing, well, or, you yeah. know, serving as a yeah. backdrop to that. And Anthony, the, the, import, the other important thing, and Sylvia knows this, uh, and Holly, I'm sure, is the basis of a dedication to Doc Pumas. Why don't you tell us about Doc Pumas, which you mentioned in the book, very, very historic songwriter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Doc Pumas was a, a, you know, certainly an interesting uh, and extremely important character. I mean, you know, wrote songs for, you know, wrote, you know, Save the Last Dance for me among dozens of other, you know, really uh, kind of classic uh pop and R&B standards for the likes of Dion and for Elvis Presley and you know obviously Lou worshipped Dion and um, the I, Doc Lou became friendly with Doc Pumas and it was a really interesting match I mean I think Doc was another figure who served as you know something like a father figure to Lou and he and Doc on for his his part was like older and and you know he was uh, you know someone who uh, you know had a lot of physical handicaps and saw Lou's interest in him as a kind of um, validation of a lot of his work. The fact that Lou was so vital and such a kind of edgy artist, uh, you know, as well as you know somebody with a significant audience, that Lou you know revered Doc to that degree was um, extremely important to Doc. And so when Doc got cancer and began to, um, uh, you know, move towards his death, I mean, I think that was kind of a grueling reality, emotional reality, and, you know, for Lou. And, you know, that was a good part of what informed um, Magic and Loss. That, and I think, you know, Lou, you know, when, when Sylvia mentioned something like maturity, you know, Lou was... You know, I would get, you know, I'm trying to do the math, but probably around 50 or so at that point, which is, you know, when you start thinking like, look, this isn't going to last forever, you know, the, yeah. you know, we don't have an infinite amount of time. And I think Lou used, um, you know, took the occasion of, of Doc's illness uh, to meditate on these issues and, and render that on a record that and it was extremely powerful. Mm. Yeah, and he, had, the, he uh, had a very he, mystical side to him, didn't he? He had a. It, it seems like he had a very mystical side. Well, it's what? funny. I mean, it it it, it sort of weaves sorry, in and out of his you life, off, you know. Mm-hmm. No, it 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 If you look throughout the whole history of of the songwriting, there's many deaths, you know. But the ones that he writes about earlier, they're mm-hmm. they're brief. They happen fast. They're overdoses. They're, um, you know, this, you know, young people dying quickly, and then this from from this uh, this cause of their own self destruction. But later, 
when you're getting to this talk about this really deep exploration, you're talking about watching a loved one, you know, decay and fade away in this long mm-hmm. process. So it's really um, much more excruciating and probably, you know, much more uh, realistic to what happens in most people's lives. And so I think really in touch with something. Uh, also that uh, mercury was related to chemotherapy. I don't know if you've ever understood it, but the chemotherapy mm-hmm. is obviously a poison. And the mercury being, uh, there was something to do with an image of some chemotherapy having an appearance like mercury. And that was why it was related in this, uh, in, in that uh, visual choice for the artwork. Yeah. But yeah, there's tremendous, tremendous Interesting. Work. Well, in the spiritual yeah. elements of loose music would, you know, come up in sort of surprising places. I mean, you know, take a Velvet Underground song like White Light, White Heat, which, you know, at first glance <laughs> seems to be a song about taking speed. But, you know, the, the idea of white light, Lou told someone around that time, related back to Alice Bailey and, you know, these kind of, you know, ideas out of theosophism and the, the white light is being the kind of, you know, the white light of eternity, the white light wow. of, wow. of um, you know, a kind of spiritual um, kind of transcendence. And that, you know, so that it, you know, he made certain images do double duty uh, you know, there was a, always, it seemed to me, like a kind of high and low, and even the most gritty stuff had this element of transcendence in it. And, um, you know, even the stuff that seemed most despairing and damned always had this element of redemption to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was, you know, it seemed to me that, you know, those elements were always part of his character and his right. artistic impulse. I wanted, no. to, I wanted oh, wow. to bring in something, um, uh, Anthony, that you wrote about. You have so much great info, as Holly and I know, and Sylvia know, uh, in this book, which people should read, because there's so much uh, dynamic information of things that I didn't even know uh, so much and uh, gr- gr- very accurate. But one thing you wrote about, which mm-hmm. really blew my mind, I never knew, Niels Lofgren collaborated on the Bells album. I didn't know he was a writer in collaboration with Lou. Well, I think at various points, you know, Lou um, was looking for collaborators. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, Dylan did that, too. You know, I mean, everybody thinks, you know, Dylan, you know, why would he need a collaborator? But often, you know, you you reach a point where, you know, you want some kind of input. And, um, yeah, and Lou looked to Nils, I think, to, you know, just kind of come up with some musical ideas, you know. And I think, you know, Springsteen invited you know, Nils into his band, oh, I think, I for a similar that. reason later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nils, you know, yeah, yeah. Played around. In fact, Absolutely. I worked on an album cover with Nils Lofgren, but I, what surprised me was the fact that he was the one that Lou chose. No, it's all good, but it was just surprised me that he wrote something with Lou, which really was great. I mean, it was good to know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, Lou also had, collaborated Lou with had, Neil uh, Young, too. Yeah. Lou, had, wow. uh, Lou also had that uh, uh, somewhat similar relationship with uh, Nelson Slater who who had produced a Nelson Slater album and and if I remember right he he told me you know his he had one favorite title that Nelson Slater had come up with and I think that was War Inside he thought that was the most amazing title for a song and uh, and (laughs) Slater was that's pretty great Slater was a very particularly unique talent and I think Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at those collaborations and then with Niels, and it's true, again and again, I think he was seeking that connection, the, mm. the, the connection he had with John, the connection he would have with Quine. He's he's looking for that throughout his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, there's so much in this book, Sylvia <laughs> and Spencer and yeah, Anthony, right. my God. There's so so many beautiful things and so many unusual well, and you. things that a lot of yeah. us didn't know. That's that right. Yeah. You just paint you paint such beautiful pictures in this book. I think yeah, that what um, if you're not um, if you're up for it and Sylvia's up for it and Spencer, I'd really like to invite you to come back so we could talk more about like um, what your conversations with um, Lou were like about his music and 
Um, and then maybe Sylvia can talk more a bit more about you know when he performed and and some of the things like that because I'd really I know our listeners would really love to hear all that. That would yeah, be I really. Would, I wanted to absolutely. I wanted to bring up something. I wanted to bring up something that um, Anthony had a great event at ninety two Y with Richard Barone, Suzanne mm-hmm. Vega, and Jeff uh, Jeff Jones. Okay. And so, and mm-hmm. I wanted to mention that was Anthony. That was a really great uh, event there uh, um, with the stories and stuff. It was tremendous <laughs> for me. It was a huge treat. I mean. Uh, yeah. Oh. Singing verses on a couple of loose songs was certainly a high point for me. <laughs> oh, that's great! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sang a verse of uh, "I'm Waiting for the Man" that's and uh, yeah, a yeah, verse of yeah. "Walk on the Wild Side," and um, and also just having you know being on stage with you know Jeff Ross who played guitar on um, uh, on Street Hustle and you know Suzanne Vega and who you know who knew Lou for many years and. Uh, mm-hmm. Richard Barone, who also knew Lou and is a great musician in his own right. right from the bongos and as a solo artist, it was extraordinary uh, to me that you know they would come and be willing to you know be up there on stage with me and then also have me perform with them. It was uh, honestly oh, a, so you know great. a total thrill of a lifetime. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, no, 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 I can imagine. And, and I, I think it also, Anthony was wonderful location because wasn't that a right. place where you had interviewed Lou? That's very true. Yeah. That's we right. had uh, Lou had wow. uh, uh done an interview with me at the ninety second Street Y that was quite memorable also and uh was a lot of fun. He seemed to be in a very relaxed mood that night, I recall and uh and you know he, he I, I I sort of felt him hovering over that occasion uh, the other evening after the book came out. I wanted to, oh, I wanted to go over one thing in the book that really touched me. Also, w- there are many things, but the way you write. But um, it was the Transformer book signing with Mick and uh, Lou and John Varvatos mm-hmm. at John Varvatos, yes. which I was there. And uh, the way you described it, I, I got to tell people reading a book, I, I, the way you describe it, I, and I'll be honest with you, I felt I was there. I almost cried reading this because that was the last time I actually shook hands with Lou Reed. And yeah, oh, absolutely. Or, mm-hmm. You know, and it was like such a, such a moment. But the way you know, Holly, the way he writes, you feel like right. You feel like you're there. Oh, uh, Anthony, sure. Amazing, and, very and emotional moment. That that experience of that book signing. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. No, unbelievable. And after talking to Mick about it, yeah, and, yeah, um, too, you know, right. Mick saying, you know, how he took his hand and held it, you know, because he knew mm-hmm. he was having a hard time, but he wanted him to be present in that moment when he was doing that book. Yes. And Lou was really loving it. But, you know, this is such an amazing story about how this person came, Lou Reed, came out of, uh, you know, this beginning, like he was a little rock and roller and then just went and, you know, just created such an iconic life for himself. And then it was like a metamorphosis into this, like, you know, um, ex- leaving us in this place time now in with beautiful memories and beautiful music and great things. And this book just tells so much of that life. You know. Pain and, and beauty and, and, and just so many different stories. And Sylvia, you know, Anthony, at your wow. 92Y event, I remember Jeff Jones was talking about his, uh, he was on Street Hassle, I believe, right, that album? Yes, and he was uh, about, mm-hmm. yes exactly. He was telling how Jeff crazy Ross, Lou by the was way, at that same. time, Anthony, right? He was telling how, how crazy Lou was, right? Well, you know, I mean, there, there was a, you know, Jeff, uh, whose last name, by the way, is Ross, is a young oh, guy, sorry. was sorry. a young guy when he was, you know, around Lou, and he describes himself as being sort of, quote-unquote, adopted by <laughs> uh, Lou and Rachel, his oh, that's great. kind of trans girlfriend at the time. And, um, you know, I think I think Jeff went through a, a difficult thing with Lou because, on the one hand, you know, at 22 to be playing with Lou Reed, I mean, it, he was kind of a little bit full of himself. <laughs> and on the other hand, you know, look, you know, Lou could be a difficult guy to deal with, you know, and yeah, there was, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there was a, it was, 
he still to this day, you know, when I certainly when I interviewed him and in other conversations, you know, mm-hmm. talks about, you know, things that maybe he did wrong or what he could have done differently and you know, what it meant for him to be around Lou and uh you know, it was a powerful, powerful experience and, you know, look, he participated in to me what is one of Lou's great solo records, you know, Street Hustle was yeah, you yeah. know, a masterpiece. You, you know the thing. No, I, oh, I got to tell you one, mm-hmm. Holly. I got to tell you We're one thing. At the, 90, at, at the ninety-two Y event, Anthony, mm-hmm. when Richard Barone played, you, you saw this, Sylvia, when he played with the video blue. That was really amazing. Yes. Yeah, that yes. was. Oh, that. that was yeah, that was. Very I'm lovely. sure I heard about that. Yeah. I heard about yeah, that. Yeah, the dry eye in the house. Yeah, that was extremely moving. Yeah. Uh, Playing along with Lou reciting the lyrics to "I'll Be Your Mirror," it was God, beautiful. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh God, yeah, that was amazing. Well, you know, I want to say um, I wish we had uh, another hour. Um, I unfortunately we're going to be ending our show soon. I wanted to do. I know that you are limited on time too, as well, Anthony and Sylvia. I want to honor your time for calling in. Thank you so much for being here, Sylvia. It means a lot. Um, Very glad to help support this wonderful book about Lou. Oh, thank you, Sylvia. Yeah, no. Yes, so much. Definitely. Um, can we all agree to come back and do another show um, on a Wednesday? Because I know that we're booked up through Friday. I don't know what your Wednesdays are like, Anthony, but um, I would really my love Wednesdays to put you okay. on a slot. Yeah, yeah by all means. That, I'd love like, to. In the next couple Excellent. weeks. You know, yeah, sure. Would you like to do that, Spencer? Because I really, I love I really it. I love it. Like Thank you, so much. Holly. This is great. Yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. There's so much in this book, and there's so many stories, and I really feel right. that Sylvia needs to talk about and right. so much You're more right. in this book mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. really, really, I think it could be like a part two, a follow up right. to this. Um, <laughs> I'd be delighted by that. That's good. There's so much in here, and I know that Sylvia has so much more to tell us because, I mean, you lived it firsthand. I mean, you were married to the man and uh, went through the good times, the hard times. I mean, you saw him in pain, and wow. I mean, just there's so much here. I really and was a genuine collaborator, a genuine collaborator. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be very happy to come back again Would and you? discuss it oh, and yeah. cool. dig in more. Oh, we love that. Great move, Holly. Great well, you know, well, no, what we're going to do is we're going to end with a song that you chose, also, Anthony, called Heroin, and we can discuss that maybe in the next show. Because we know that Fantastic. you had little, a, little, a little struggle with, uh, you know, extracurricular things but you know uh, he came out of good it. Person's fault, yeah. everybody did and uh, <laughs> I wanted to say it's Friday guys please don't drink and drive and uh, I'm going to be ending the show with that song and then also I'm going to be ending it before that with a um, a little announcement about the film festival that's going on down in Nashville um, this weekend wow. uh, that um, both Spencer and I are involved in along with Judith and um, it will be held, it's being held, it started today in Nashville, and tomorrow they're at City Winery, and then there's some films, and I'm going to be playing a little uh, PSA on that before the song. But Sylvia, could, could, do you mind coming back, um, like maybe in a couple weeks, to do another show on this? I'll be very I'd happy love to. to. Uh, I would love to, I'd be so pleased to have you back, and uh, Spencer and I both, and Anthony. Um, I will make sure that Spencer knows the date that I have open. He'll coordinate that with you. And for all our right. listeners listening today, this is part one. If you missed the beginning, please make sure you download it on iTunes. And also, well, listen, Holly, I've got to mention afterwards. one thing. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. An- an- Go for this it. This is direct to Anthony. Uh, Jeffrey Ross, Mick Rock. Mm-hmm. And Judith came back to me and said they couldn't be on, but they want to say hello to you personally, okay? And, and oh, fantastic. Oh, cool. I wanted to oh, say nice. that, and they congratulated you on your book. Uh, well, Travel, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for yeah. conveying Yeah, that. I know. Mixed on, <laughs> yeah. lo- mixed on location. Yeah, so yeah. that would be great. So um, with that, 
I want to say to everyone, please have a beautiful weekend. And, um, again, it's Friday. Please don't drink and drive. And, uh, Anthony, what a great, amazing book. And for everyone out there, if you need a book for the weekend to read, you can read this book. It's uh, Lou Reed, A a Life. Um, Anthony DeCurtis, you can get it pretty much anywhere. And uh, the cover is just fantastic. And it's a nice book, um, nice-sized book, and uh, it'll keep you captivated for sure. It's like taking a roller coaster ride. I loved it. It's uh, fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> and thank you so much, Sylvia, for your collaboration on this and uh, helping and You're very welcome. all the other very people, welcome. all the other, again, yeah, all the other people that were involved in this book. That's what I wanted to talk about too. I, I know there are so many other people that you interviewed and talked to that were part of Lou's life that mm-hmm. I would love to hear about, and all the people um that gave little statements like Clive Davis, Iggy Pop, Suzanne Vega, Sting. Um, Peter Buck I mean just so many people And then you Anthony I wanted to talk about you With your years <laughs> at Rolling Stone I mean we want well, to talk about For you sure We want to know about you <laughs> yeah, about what me. Made you write this, And what made you write this beautiful book Yeah so no, um, Well I'd be happy to talk about all of that Okay cool all right, with We're that, there. Guys, Thank you so much. Okay. Hey, we love all right, you all. Rock, rock and roll here. Okay. Bye bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye bye, everyone. Okay. Here's bye a little bye. PSA for you. The Southeastern <laughs> International Film Festival is live from Nashville, Tennessee this weekend, presenting award winning films, acting, and music workshops with performances by Brandon Maddox, Brian Ashley Jones. Roselle, Matt Klein, and Chase Brown, live at the Back Corner tonight, November 3rd, and the City Winery, November 4th. Festival passes available at southeasternfilm.com. Tickets can also be purchased at the door. Come out for some fun in Nash Vegas.
I'd sail the darkened seas On a great big clipper ship Going from this land here to that Put on a sailor's suit and cap Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.